This podcast is part of the MyPodcast.com network. Go online right now and get your very own 100% free podcast, MyPodcast.com. Welcome to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Shidoshi Jeffrey Miller and Black Belt Eric White. Shidoshi Miller is a 12th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 25 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Eric White has been a student of Shidoshi Miller's for five years and holds a second degree black belt. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. All right, so uh, I want to welcome everyone to the, this is the inaugural episode of Kuden, and uh, I am Eric White, with me, Shidoshi Miller, and I uh, just want to toss it to you quick as we start you know, the program here for the very first time, just quickly give people an idea of why you wanted to pursue this route of, uh, of getting the word out to people. Oh, okay. Uh, in a word? Yeah, uh, and in more than one word. Okay. All right. Well, I can do in a word. Um, lazy. Lazy. Not me. <laughs> um, but I've been told that, uh, there's so much information on my website that since most people don't like to read, mm-hmm. um, I should probably deliver things a little bit differently. So, uh, we're going to make it a little more real and offer, um, something in this media and then uh shortly as you know we're going to be offering some web-based seminars as well so for those people who can't get into the dojo or get to camp or whatever we can uh mm-hmm. they can they can uh, hop on board and get some topics that way so for the people who want to look at things we'll have things for, to be looked at and for people that want to like you know drive down the road and uh listen to uh two guys talk about ninjutsu and uh Self-defense, uh, hey, this is the place. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and, um, you know, I quickly want to throw to you about your, creten- your credentials. I've been training with you for uh, it's a little over five years, I guess, uh, that wow. I've been a student with you. One of us is getting old. Time flies. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. So but, do you know uh, Ray <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I want to give people a little more insight into how long you've been doing this. Uh, martial arts in general, um, yeah, boy, let's see, 1975. So don't do the math. But uh, 1975, I actually started yeah, see, counting already, and you're using your fingers. <laughs> I don't have enough fingers. taking his socks off already. <laughs> anyway, um, I started in a karate club that was actually in my junior high school. They actually called them junior high schools back then. Okay. So it was cool to go to junior high school. Middle school is like what, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like going to, that's uh, my karate school. No, this is your ninjutsu school. Yeah. You know? Anyway, but um, had a karate club, and um, I wasn't a very uh, athletic kid, so a lot of that stuff, uh, it felt it felt good. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in a big city, so self-defense was real important, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, I really got serious when I decided I was going to be a cop and uh, uh, did that by going into the military. My parents were not in any kind of condition to you know, send me to college and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go uh, into the military to do things like that and uh, became a military policeman and then eventually an investigator. But, um, yeah, when, uh, when I joke around and say that... Uh, as far as self-defense for law enforcement goes, uh, they're typically a graduate of Thursday's class at 3 o'clock. I'm not kidding. Uh, okay. Really? Yeah, oh, we had, I don't know, maybe three classes. 
you know, wow. that were maybe an hour or two long. So, you know, and then uh, every six months you got to requalify on what I called the government six. Do these techniques against a static attacker and <laughs> you'll survive. Well, I knew I wouldn't. <laughs> so I started looking around for lots of other, uh, for something else and uh, went through a bunch of martial arts. And uh, what I was really looking for was usability early on. And I was also looking for strategy. I mean, there's people out there teaching self-defense. Uh, it's not a bad thing. You know, they've got their own systems and things like that. But I'm a real, um, I'm a real stickler when it comes to the tried and true, the mm -hmm. proven kind of thing. I don't need to reinvent the wheel, you know. But at the same time, I'm not a blind follower either. So um, I just kept looking around and finally uh, found these folks that were doing stuff in, uh, you know, the black garb you know? um, <laughs> and i see your hair you're wearing a very historical shirt today uh, that kind of deals with yeah, the people absolutely. in the black garb absolutely uh and doesn't even have my school's name on it no no shadows anyway <laughs> um and we won't go there because it'll get all political and that'll be just right um but uh what i was really looking for was the whole science and strategic thinking behind self-protection and uh well i found it and uh, again, to make sure that we're not just becoming another blind follower of another martial arts master or whatever, like, you know, tons of people are out there. Uh, there was an actual, actually a period in my training, uh, where some friends of mine and I actually took it upon ourselves to prove this stuff wrong, hmm. to make it fail. We went to different trainings, uh, instead of just always contending that, oh, ours is best. Um, what we ended up doing was going around and trying to make it fail. Hmm. And I don't know that we made it fail. I mean, certain techniques, all techniques fail. I mean, all techniques can be done in the improper way, the improper setup, the wrong environment against the wrong type of an attacker. And that's what we learned. What we learned was how to think strategically about what was going on and not just how to move our foot this way, how to move our hands that way. Of course, that's an important part of the training, but this had to really work for me because of my job. I mean, um, I've done everything from uniform uh, police work to undercover investigations in black market and uh, uh, what else did I do? Uh, drug suppression and uh, counterterrorist stuff. So, wow. you know, you just don't, uh, you just don't. Not just traffic stuff. Yeah, you just don't pick up a couple of techniques and go, okay, I'm all set now. Yeah. Um, and the stuff had to work. Um, and it's not that, you know, the, guy, the stuff that the guys in the FBI are doing. Awesome stuff. It's not Ninja Zoo. It's not any specific thing. They take the best of whatever's out there because of their experience and put it together. They've got a freaking phenomenal program that they teach their agents. Hmm. But it comes from the same results-oriented mindset. This has to work. If it's flashy, fancy, or whatever, or it's kind of questionable, uh, unless somebody can prove that it's going to work better than 50% of the time um, by the average person, we don't have time for it. Right. This has got to be good stuff. So that was really my criteria. And I've told everyone from my first couple of teachers in this art to even the grandmaster one day uh, to uh, my students throughout the years, if I ever find anything that works better than what I'm doing right now, I'm going to do that thing hmm. because I'm not attached to this in a, in a religious, worshiping kind of way. Right. Um, this is not what I do because it makes me special or something like that. It's not about that. This is about producing right. results in the world, and it's about uh, really having the ability to do something that's required. And, um, you know, when the defecation hits the ventilation or the, you know, hits the fan, um, 
it doesn't matter how many techniques you have. It doesn't matter what color your belt was. It doesn't matter how cool you look when you do X, Y, Z kick or whatever. It doesn't matter. Because mm-hmm. when he's, you know, moving your nose to the back part of your cranium and the world's going dark and your body's falling, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. You're not going to impress him by the color of your belt. As a matter of fact, if you spout that kind of crap off, he's probably going to turn up the juice a little bit and come at you even harder. Really? So, yeah. Uh, so that that's what it was about. I mean, I, I came from a background where, one, I was a kid, you know, getting beat up in the inner cities and stuff like that and seeing crime and violence and things and then becoming a cop and a soldier at the same time and needing the survival aspects of it to now I'm out in the world and, you know, every once in a while I uh, donate my services for bodyguard work if uh, the Dalai Lama or a Tibetan teacher's in town or whatever. We don't, our State Department doesn't give them any security, so some of us uh, uh-huh. step up to the plate to do things. But, you know, and we just have a lot of fun with it, just like everybody does, but at the same time, uh, our focus is not in uh, pretending that we're some 16th century warrior. Mm-hmm. Our focus is on picking up the lessons that these people who, if they screwed up, they died. You know, taking those lessons and making them viable today. That's the most traditional thing we could do. Ninja 2, unlike most mar- most other martial arts, has changed historically. I mean, that's it's always changed with the times. It's changed with the armor types. It's changed with the build. It's changed with the types of attacks, the, ge- the geography, everything. It's always been adapting. I mean, that's one of the ninja's foremost skills, right? Adaptability. Right. right? Blending in. So um, wear your ninja suits all you want, but I think the most traditional thing I could do is walk around in a sports shoot, a sports shirt and a pair of pants and, uh, or, you know, my shorts and pair of sneakers and be the invisible ninja that no one's paying attention to. Because I wear a ninja outfit today. It's freaking hot. I'm going to yeah. be dying out there. And two, and you'll stand everybody's going to go, hey, it's a ninja. Uh-huh. You know, it's like these wingnuts uh, stealthily moving around in their tobby. Yeah. Gee, I don't know. Yeah. I think if I were to do that, even if I were to dress up like a superhero vigilante and protect my uh, my neighborhood, those Tobby tracks lead right back to warrior <laughs> concepts. <laughs> Who else yeah. in town is wearing Tobby? Yeah, no. <laughs> you know? So, anyway. But, uh, yeah, that's that's my background in a nutshell. I mean, I've been a private investigator, all that kind of stuff. My, I think my focus has always been in helping people. You know? uh-huh. I became a cop for the most altruistic reasons. I wanted to help people. I wanted to protect people from the bad guys. Right. Seven years in, I realized I was nothing more than a glorified secretary in a uniform with a gun on his hip doing reports on victims. Hmm. And I was on scene to stop something maybe three times, four times in seven years. Wow. I was always, it was always late. So what I realized was if I could do something to teach these people how not to be victims in the first place or to escape or whatever, yeah. um, that's, that's my lot in life. For me to protect somebody... I have to do it preemptively. Mm-hmm. So, here I am. All right. And hopefully people are paying attention and they haven't fallen asleep. And uh, God knows if they fall asleep and they've been driving while they're listening to this. Um, <laughs> they're not listening anymore. <laughs> they're not listening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely, you know, uh, through the episodes, uh, you're going to get a lot more taste uh, from what your background has has brought to this people are going to get a lot more insight and we'll get more from you on that but just to give you an idea you're listening and you're kind of wondering what the structure of each episode is going to be we've got basically three segments the first is going to deal with those kind of real world situations news stories uh that that we go out and grab from from different sources and and we're going to kind of take a look at how those situations got dealt with how uh how you can defend yourself in those situations some tips and where you can go to get 
further information on, on learning that. And uh, we'll also look at taking your questions and comments that are relevant to, to those topics. Our, our second segment is going to cover more of uh, traditional ninjutsu training. We'll talk uh, techniques. Uh, history, tradition, all those things. And then finally, our third segment is going to get into more of the philosophy uh, about warriorship. So that's what you can kind of expect from each episode of Kuden. And uh, thank you for checking out this first episode. We're going to roll right into uh, some some news here in a minute. But first, I want to touch on a couple of things that are important that are coming up at Warrior Concepts, uh, the, the homeschool in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Uh, there's a Tagakureyu sword seminar coming up and a Kubaton seminar. I just wonder if you could quickly kind of of, uh, hit that when it's coming up so people can jump on that. Oh, sure. Uh, the Togakureryu uh, Ninja Beacon Seminar, the Secret Sword Seminar, is uh, uh, material being pulled right from the from the scrolls from the Togakureryu. And since this is the year uh, where that's the theme in Japan, uh, thought it'd be fitting to do that. And uh, I know it's short notice, but hey, you know, be flexible and make sure you can be there. It's uh, August 30th and 31st, uh, 2008, just in case you started listening <laughs> to this uh, four years from now because you found it on some art. It's possible with the internet. Somewhere. That's right. You know, hey, it's coming up. Crap. <laughs> I right, missed so it's it. a Saturday to Sunday, nine to five, both days. If we get a good um, group coming in, uh, there's always a possibility of doing one of my favorite activities afterwards, and that's going off to a Japanese restaurant and having some sushi. And uh, That's a good know. way to end a night. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't eat too much or drink too much that night because <laughs> you still got to train the next day. Right. Uh, the Kubaton Seminar. Uh, actually came out or came as a, a result of uh, a bunch of people online buying the Kubaton manual that mm-hmm. we have. It's just a it's a really great book for beginners. Um, and uh, again, a lot of people don't like to read or they would like to see things in action instead of just static pictures. Mm-hmm. So we've been getting a lot of requests for or just a lot of questions about you know you're going to put this out in video. So what we're going to be doing is uh, uh, hosting a uh, Kubaton workshop slash seminar Friday night the twenty second. Uh, August 22nd from like 7 to 9.30. We're going to go over a bunch of that stuff. And then uh, we're going to, uh, of course, the people that are there are going to get great firsthand information. But we're also going to make sure that it's uh, videotaped as well. And mm-hmm. it's going to turn into a DVD product as well. And um, it'll be sold individual or independently or as a package with the uh, the manual and a coupon. Great, great. Uh, and as always, you can always follow up on information with uh, any of the upcoming events by checking out the website, www.warrior-concepts-online.com. Coming up, our segments today are our first topic we're going to get into here very shortly. Uh, we'll talk about the mugging of a New York City math teacher uh, taught in the sc- in, in the city uh, for years and, uh, and, and was mugged. And we'll talk about how you can look at defending yourself in that situation. Uh, and, and also, we'll get into to how lineages formed, specifically Tagagi Yoshin and Tagakuryu, which were founded by, quote, losers in their respective battles. You were telling me a little bit about that. They were losers. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people would like to believe that when you get into martial arts, you know, everybody along the line were just, you know, these superhero kind of guys with uh, weapons and all that. And they were. Uh, But we're going to talk about especially the uh, uh, Tagakure guy uh, because he was a master of what then Okay, in 17th century Japan was considered to be a traditional lineage. Right. I mean, how old that had to be, right? Uh, and, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Daisuke Nishina, or he became Daisuke uh, Togakure, the uh, acknowledged founder of the Togakure Ryu. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. These guys were both um, uh, samurai and or, you know, uh, they were very, very skilled people. But, um, yeah, the battle that mattered the most, they lost. Um, and different philosophies coming out of each one. So we need to take a look at those specifically. Um, 
the Tagagi Yoshoryu more on the self-defense side, mm-hmm. the Togakure Ryu more on the whole Nijutsu side, and how that's different from, say, the samurai mindset, or I hate to use that word because the word samurai yeah. uh, has meant many different things at different times in history. Right. Uh, everything from just somebody who was there to protect the uh, the Shogun's mistress to, uh, you know, the guy, the low man at the gate or whatever. It just meant something uh-huh. different. It's very different from the, the, the title Bushi. So uh, right. we're not going to get into that today, but... Uh, we're going to take a look at how the the typical ideas that people have about what samurai are all about, right. what ninja are all about, and stuff. We're going to take a look at how uh, this samurai turned ninja uh, did so out of a out of a situation where it looks where it, on the surface it may look like cowardice, uh-huh. but on uh, when, when you really know what's going on, um, he acted. For very different reasons, and then consequently ran into a teacher who could teach him stuff that was just so far outside the box that uh, the average person who's involved in martial arts just just doesn't have a uh, just doesn't have a clue about a lot of this stuff because mm-hmm. we're, we're going way beyond blocking and punching and kicking and you know way cool throws and things like that. <laughs> you know? I mean, sure, it's, it's this is the cool stuff that's got me involved. You know, how do I work my will with nobody knowing? Doing it right, you know, <laughs> clouding them. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to you know, the Jedi mind tricks. Anyway, very interesting topic that that that's coming up on our second segment, and finally we'll we'll close things out in our third segment with the discussion on becoming a warrior. One of uh, it's kind of based off of one of these articles you've written. Uh, you've written many articles, many of which are published online, and and that's one of them. And, and we'll take a look at that coming up in our third and final segment. We'll give you a little preview of what's coming up on the next episode because this is just the first of many that are going to be coming your way. So. So right now, we'll go right into Kuden News and find out what's happening around the world and uh, here at home. With the latest in self-defense and martial arts current events and information from around the world to you, this is Kuden News. In Bujinkan News, as of May, it was released at this year's International Daikomiosai, the annual training event, which also celebrates Soke's birthday, will not be held at the Budokan in Ayase due to some large events taking place there at the same time as Soke's birthday. Tentatively, this seminar will be held November 30th through December 2nd at Kikoman Gym in Noda, and Soke's party will be held on the evening of December 2nd at the Noda Tobu Hotel. Sekai Ninja Senjiraya, the late 80s Japanese television series in which Soke played the role of Tetsuzan, will be available on DVD November 21st. The DVD is said to contain eight episodes of the show spanning 245 minutes. No word yet on if the DVD will have a release in the U.S. or if it can only be ordered overseas. News Corporation CBS recently paid a visit to Hombu Dojo in Noda City to film a report titled The Art of the Ninja Soldier. To view the story, log on to CBS.com and type Ninja into the search box. We leave you with some final words from Soke Atsumi himself. He was quoted back in June as saying, When you are in Japan, please attend as many classes by Nagato, Noguchi, Oguri, and Seno Shihan as you can. Not a very good idea to study under only one of them because each has different characteristics. The more the better. If you only train with me, you won't understand this budo. All right, so we're into our first topic here on Kuden. Again, this is our first episode, so thank you for uh, checking it out. And you can always find more information about the School Warrior Concepts by going to www.warrior-concepts-online.com. And we're going to talk today about 
the uh, the mugging of a New York City math teacher, and I got this off of NBCI5.com. And uh, just really quickly, I- I'm going to go over the story, and then I'll toss it to uh, Shidoshi Miller here, and he's going to kind of expand a bit on what you can do. I mean, if you ever found yourself in this situation, uh, how how would how would you react? Some tips on how people uh, can react as well and, and protect themselves from something like this happening. So. New York City police are searching for a suspect caught on surveillance tape attacking a 62-year-old teacher at the gates of a parochial school. Uh, the grainy tape shows the attacker coming up behind the woman as she opens a, uh, a gate to the school in Brooklyn at 6.40 in the morning. Police said the attacker followed the victim after she got out of her car. In the video, the suspect knocks the woman onto the ground. As she shields herself with her hands, he grabs two bags and runs off. The victim identified as 62-year-old Patricia McGowan. She's a math teacher and computer teacher who was taught in New York City for 43 years. Neighbors said the suspect even came back to the crime scene while police were inside the school and stole her car. And police said uh, they later recovered the vehicle seven blocks from the crime scene. So that's the story how, what can somebody do? I mean, finding themselves in this situation, maybe even before this situation even comes up. Learn self-defense. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, you know, the, the, it's funny. We talked about this before. The um, It's amazing how the, the news focused on the fact that she was a school teacher. Right? Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at this story, and um, it, it's, she's not attacked by a student, you know, um, it looks like a very opportunistic kind of thing. But, um, you know, I said learn self-defense in jest, but um, this woman was not only teaching in New York City schools, specifically Brooklyn, for yeah. 43 years. Yeah. She lives and whatever in that area for at least that amount of time, if not more. I mean, you know, even if she immigrated there from, uh, you know, Buckwheat Town, Idaho, or you know, whatever you <laughs> sure. know, in some backwater uh, town. Not the, that backwater towns are uh, bad. They're not. They're very nice and quiet, and you know, anybody arrests or anybody causes any problems, and you don't have to worry about the lone sheriff going and arresting them. The townspeople go and kick the crap out of them, kick them out of town. Everything's good, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> draw a crop circle around them or something. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, th- this this is one of the reasons why. Uh, one of the primary uh, topics that I love covering are what I call the six phases of self-defense, which is something I actually inherited from a teacher prior to me. I mean, we all worked on this thing uh, in the early days uh, of this art. Excuse me, to kind of um, put a scientific, to give people some scientific clarity or some strategic thinking behind the whole self-defense thing, right? Yeah. Uh, which I actually just expanded to, to eight uh, phases, and I'll go over that in a minute, but... Uh, just very briefly, uh, when it comes to self-defense, most people typically think of the whole, you know, duking it out, blocks, punching, kicking, and all that. And yet, in our phases, that's six, right? I mean, there's five things that come before that, and any one of these phases can be used to keep somebody safe, right? And uh, phase one is generally what we call, or just, we, we call it general awareness, okay? And what that means is that people are just generally aware that danger exists in the world and it can touch me okay uh and i know how silly that sounds but it's but it, but it really is a big thought for some people to really kind of oh, it's, it's huge it's huge and let me break that down into two parts because this is really important um i think that most people who end up becoming victims would never have doubted that there was danger in the world but either they thought Consciously or unconsciously, or they acted as though 
it was never going to touch them. And as a matter of fact, that's the one, that's the one common factor, one common uh, trait that all victims have in common. That's it's the one thing that they all they all have in common. They all share. You know, prior to the attack, they all thought it wasn't going to happen to them. I can't tell you how many times when I was a cop, how many times when I was taking a report from somebody who had been brutally assaulted or worse, if they were killed, it was somebody else in the family, one of the first things out of their mouth was, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened to me. I, 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 and they're flabbergasted. You know, I have a close family member that on 9-11, 2001, September 11th, while I'm going into action trying to find my daughter who was going to school in Pittsburgh, hmm. because the earliest reports was that that plane came down in Pittsburgh. Right. I'm trying to find my daughter. I have a family member call me, and the first words out of his mouth was, I can't believe that somebody would do this. They, they're, they're, I don't know, their faith was so strong or their, you know, they would do, their religious beliefs were so strong that they would do this. Yeah. Come on, you know. Um, somebody jumped me one time because of the way I walked, you know, because they associated that with military, and they hated military, and military people are baby killers, and therefore I must be. And, and the ironic thing is that I learned to carry myself the way I do and, the way, and to walk properly after I got involved in Ninjutsu, long after I was out of the Army. So hmm. amazing, huh? Pretty yeah. Cool. But anyway, um, so there's just general awareness, right? Danger exists in the world, and it can touch me. And that in and of itself should cause people to take action, to do something about that, right? Um, and it's just not happening. I mean, it's happening every so often, but then, you know, people come to class for a couple of classes or a month or two months or whatever, and their confidence level shoots up, and then they quit because they think they can handle everything now, and all they've done is successfully gotten away from a couple of slow-motion punches or something like that, but, you know, it makes them feel good. Right. So what they're really saying is, um, I don't want to have the skills, I just want to feel like I can do something, right? Um, so here's this person that, um, I don't know if she ever took classes or not, but what she did do was violate the second phase or the second rule, which was situational self-defense. She wasn't paying attention to what was going on around her. Um, by the sounds of things, she was carrying two bags, and she had keys in her hands, and she's trying to open up these big gates. Right? She didn't put the bags down. She didn't you know, stand in a, in a way where she could see what was going on around her or anything like that. Right? Um, if you watch the video, I know it's kind of grainy and everything, but you can see this. And she walks from her car to the gate, she's opening the gates, gets jumped. Wow, I mean, you know, that's amazing. In the danger prevention tactics video, uh, when we when we did that, uh, we really went out of our way. We brought down Canadian filmmakers to help us with this thing, so we could actually set this thing up so that I, it wasn't just me talking to yeah. people, you know, it wasn't yeah. like a Bob Vila kind of thing, you know, where we're just talking about how things are going on that we set up situations and we had this uh, one guy act as the uh, total numbskull just had no clue when it came to what moving around in his world and uh, we were demonstrating the whole overloading your arms with you know with bags coming out of the mall trying to get into your car fidgeting for your keys and that kind of thing just flat out not paying attention as opposed to how you might be able to reconstruct or restructure that that scenario so the I, the big thing i mean everything comes down to this whole awareness thing but being aware that it can happen to you should should put you into into action um and we'll talk about that later as, as far as becoming a warrior because warriors are people of action they're not philosophers and if they are philosophers that's balanced out by acting on that philosophy hmm. um 
But um, there's this whole thing of paying attention to what's going on around you. And, um, you know, then we have escaping to safety and all that. But here she's 62. So the older we get, the less able we are to move as quickly or be as strong or whatever, to react as, in the same way that, you know, somebody who's 19, 20, whatever. I, I don't know how old the, the attacker was, but you get the idea, right? Yeah. So um, it's very, very different. So uh, uh, let me just add these other phases to it. Um, you know, we've got the, the awareness thing, but then uh, what we need to look at is, are, is the, are these phases as if we can understand how scientifically a fight progresses from danger being as far away from you as possible to it being on top of you until it moves away again, okay? There are these different areas that it's not just blocking and punching. If you can learn or train to do things in each of these phases, it gives you a much more thorough ability to manage the situation and to to diffuse it, to neutralize it before it ever gets to be physical, before it ever gets to be a problem for you, right? So yeah, there's general awareness. Of course, you're going to learn things. I remember uh, being in Japan a couple of years ago, and it's only since I was talking about this, uh, my teacher was talking about um, how ironic it is that the longer we train and the better we get, the less likely we're ever going to need our physical skills. Hmm. It's like insurance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it is ironic. I'm, I haven't been in a physical altercation in well over 15 years. You know, I'm having fun in school and in the classroom and stuff. I'm almost a 15th degree black belt. I can't tell you how 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 it's how long it's been, but I can tell you that um, the way I carry myself now is very very different than the way even I carried myself as a police officer. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it, the training tends to strip away the arrogance. It tends to strip away uh, this ego need to do things for certain reasons. We'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, there's this preparation. You're just looking. You're, you're just naturally relaxed, but looking around. You're not looking for anything. You're just generally aware of things that are out of place or as they should be, and you get a general sense of feel of the people around you. So you can take action. But, you know, you can't, awareness doesn't always work. Awareness, you could be uh, enjoying the big Christmas tree in the park at, you know, Christmas and uh, with your family and stuff. And something just it doesn't come out of nowhere, but you just weren't aware of it, right? Mm -hmm. So if things start to come in, right, now we have escaping to safety, right? You have multiple ways to get home from places that you generally frequent, the mall, work, those kind of things. You have a route A and a route B so that you can... Uh, you can stay uh, flexible in the way you move around, right? Um, when you walk into a restaurant, you know, do you know how to look around and generally uh, be able to to find your way out or to be able to assess the situation? It takes you five seconds. Sit down, enjoy your meal, and you're just like everybody else. But mm -hmm. there was this thing that you did when you pull up to an intersection, stopping at a red light or a stop sign, right? Do you know where to look and what to look for? Uh, it's those kind of things that we cover, in, like I said, in the Danger Prevention Tactics video or our EDR courses, those kind of things. Uh, but then again, you can't always escape, right? So uh, sometimes he just shows up right in front of you. So now we have this uh, uh, phase where we, we call it distracting the mm -hmm. assailant, right? Uh, we're not even letting him know that we're that there's a fight yet we don't even we're not even letting him know that we know that we're in danger right so we can right. ignore him make a joke you know uh play it off hmm. anything like that right just to generally send him in a different direction to try to diffuse the, the situation right that doesn't work okay now we have to do what we call dissuading right now we're going to have to maybe it's maybe it's taking up our martial arts stance maybe it's looking him right in the eye um and not letting go maybe it's physically or verbally saying 
not me, not today. I may lose, but it's going to hurt. It's going to cost you. Hmm. At, you know, phase six then, okay. If that doesn't work and he jumps, then you're going to have to deal with it. Right? What I don't have in either my Foundations of Self-Defense Mastery uh, e-course, which mm-hmm. people get, you know about that one, which people get when they subscribe to our newsletter, right. um, or in the book The Karate Myth, what I don't have are the newest phases that I added uh, as a result of our modern world. Phase seven um, is really about uh, dealing with post-traumatic stress. Okay, uh, there are lots of people that uh, you know. Most of us, we were we were taught to be good people, you know. But we have these responses. We have to do something bad like that. I mean, guilt can come up. There can be all kinds of trauma afterwards. You hurt another human being for God's sake, you know. If you, if that doesn't bother you in some way, I suggest paying the hundred dollars for an hour session and go talk to somebody who can you know help you figure that out sure, yeah. right uh, i'm like i said i'm almost a degree black belt it bother it would bother me to have to hurt somebody because whether that person was inconsequential to me or not they're connected to other people who are innocent in the world their mm-hmm. parents their spouses their children whatever you know and um I just remove that person from their life or change the way that person's going to relate to them in their life. Yeah. Uh, so we have to be able to deal with that post-situation, right? Uh, here's a quick story, and I know we're going to shoot through this, but um, here's a t- statistic. When I teach uh, rape defense things, okay, there is a uh, – I can't remember where I found it, but there's a t- statistic that I found that uh, most women who have trained in self-defense, okay, been attacked – and defended themselves, whether they won or lost, after the after the physical wounds have healed, yeah. the emotional, psychological state of that person is generally very strong because they knew that they did everything they could. Hmm. Okay? Win or lose, they're generally okay. Mm-hmm. Contrast that with almost 100% of women who haven't learned and did nothing to defend themselves Within the first year, somewhere within the first year, post-situation or post-assault, okay, they have broken off all ties with all men in their life, including fathers, spouses, boyfriends, brothers, hmm. because they can't look at another male without seeing a potential attacker. It's a huge hmm. difference, right? Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's a big thing. And then phase eight is defending yourself against the legal system. Very, because very important. In the 21st century, yeah, we have been so convinced that it's the job of the police or the job of the military or whatever to keep us safe when that is not true. The, the Supreme Court of the United States has even ruled that it's not the job of the police to protect you as an individual. It's their job to protect the public at large. Hmm. But they don't, they don't have to. There's no legal requirement for them to show up at every incident. If they're tied up, if there's something more important, they have to make a judgment call. Mm-hmm. And they have to deal with those things that way. But even the best response times, five to eight minutes. Right. Most self-defense situations are over in less than two. You are your own first line of self-defense. This is not a choice. It's a responsibility. You know, you have to stand by until backup shows up, which is, you know, we used to say we were needing backup when I was a cop. And you're going to have to wait for backup. Either it's the yeah. cops or somebody else who's willing or able to step in and help. Or It's just... Uh, it's not, it's, not, it's not a question anymore. But you have to defend against it. And when I say you have to defend against the legal system, uh, it's unfashionable to defend yourself. It's unfashionable yeah. to take martial arts and talk about it with most people. They either blow it off, you know, it's cool or whatever. But, I mean, how many people? It's, for those people who are, who are training in martial arts or in self-defense that are listening, uh, 
Um, be honest. How many people have you told about what you're doing or they found out about it and they've asked you a question like this? Why do you want to learn to be violent? Hmm. Why do you want to learn to fight? My answer is I'm not learning to be violent. I'm learning to deal with violence. I'm not a violent person. I detest violence. I'm very good at it, but I don't like it. I don't like to have to use it. But I also understand there's the possibility that I might. But most people, I mean, if I if I end up defending myself and a video camera on a Walmart catches the wrong angle, I'm now defending against this attacker's defense attorney who's trying to make it out that this was a fight or I attacked him. Mm. Or... I should have done less because I'm more skilled. I'd better be able to articulate. I'd better be able to, to verbalize very, very clearly that I did the least necessary. And I better be able to back it up because the video cameras are always rolling in this in this society. Yeah. That I did the least necessary to handle this situation. Yeah. Right? But uh, absolutely. And if you think that you're going to be judged by a jury of your peers and you're going to have... 10 or 12 or whatever people sitting in that box who are all trained martial artists or self-defense experts, uh, you're shaking your head no. No. <laughs> but those are my peers. Right. Those are the only people that can truly say whether I overstepped my bounds or that I could have handled it differently or whatever. Certainly not somebody that sits on their uh, easy chair eating bonbons with their ninja sword sitting beside them watching the ninja movies that way. Mm -hmm. uh, or the person who doesn't want to even think about this. Oh, I don't want to talk, I don't want to talk about certain subjects like death or... or being attacked or mm -hmm. rape or anything like that. Um, these are the people that think we're violent. We'd rather kick in the eyeball than say good morning to you and things like that, which is pretty sad. But as far as the situation goes with um, with this woman, I think she she could have gone a lot farther or gotten a lot farther with just a little, which is just some simple awareness. You know, mm -hmm. before she got out of her car, you know, who's standing around? Who's where? Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Um, she's in New York City, for God's sake. You know, she's in Brooklyn. I'm not saying that all these places are bad or that they're all bad all the time, but yeah. um, you know, to to not have any preparation, there's a problem. So, uh, I don't know. Did I answer your question <laughs> very thoroughly. Oh, good. Let me let me change topics just a quick second. How many ninjas does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. Uh, Twenty. 20? 20, yeah. That seems like a high number. Well, okay, it takes one to screw in the light bulb, but you're going to find 19 of them to write the book about it, <laughs> which is pretty funny because I have books, but uh, the joke here is that uh, I learned to screw in the light bulb, and then I wrote a book about how to screw in a light bulb. I didn't watch some other guy screw in a light bulb and then stand back like I'm some kind of master writing a book about how to screw in a light bulb. There's a big, big uh, distinction there. Huge difference. Huge difference. <laughs> big distinction. Huge difference. <laughs> well, if if somebody wants to, to look at getting more information on specifically those last two phases uh where where can they go to get that is it is it coming out i i know you talked about it it's not in a couple of the things that have been published so far but right i'm going to be updating uh, some of these things here in the near future i've got so many projects i'm working on right now it'll end it'll be in there just be glad you got it now um <laughs> but um for anybody who buys The Karate Myth, which actually comes with a companion book called Controlling the Fight, which actually takes them through what you know as the five Ds, which are these five phases of handling phase six, right? Mm -hmm. Handling the physical confrontation, everything from watching this guy to being able to break his balance and take him down, all that kind of stuff, um, comes with that. And then three other uh, special reports. If they get that, one of the bonuses that come with that is a certificate for lifetime uh, updates. So wow. if they buy it once... I think it's on a twenty four ninety five on the on the site or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, if they buy that, uh, as I update material like this and add things, they can get, they'll get it. 
um, for at least a look at some some uh, basic overview of these uh, first six phases. Uh, anybody who's subscribed to the, to the uh, newsletter, uh, online newsletter, uh, there's a link where they can actually go and um, subscribe or, or uh, what do you call it, register for a seven-part e-course that will take you through these different six phases. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'll update that. Um, as I have time, I'm being perfectly honest here. I've just got so much stuff going on. And as you know, I'm still getting out of that, uh, recovering from that accident I was in almost a year ago that really yeah. put me out of the loop. We had videos uh, uh, shot and all kinds of stuff going on. And I'm just now getting back into the swing of things to get things back up. So here I am doing a radio show that wasn't on the list and getting ready to do <laughs> webinars add, that we're just, weren't on the list. Oh, just add more. Can you say type A personality <laughs> type? No. <laughs> well, I, you know, I have a question here that kind of closely relates to to what we just kind of discussed uh with mugging and it comes from susan uh from richmond virginia she wrote i wonder what you think about impact training for women or full force training with a mugger and a suit seems their main teaching is to the groin i will be very interested in thoroughly reading your materials i have thought at one time to attend one of your training camps but haven't had the funds or time to really seriously consider it though it's very appealing is any of your training for rank uh beginners Thanks for your time, and I hope you're uh, getting fully recovered from your injuries. I've been following your recovery via the newsletter. So oh, great. I've got another stalker out there. Thank <laughs> you, Susan. At least you admit to it. All right. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to make this quick, and I'm just going to kind of read what I wrote back to Susan, uh, and then I'll, I'll touch on some of these points as I go along. Okay, so Susan, as for your questions, I'd like to start by saying that all training is beneficial. It's not the training, though, as much as the context that the training is being delivered in. Do you get that? All right. Um, it's not the punches, kicks, and grabs and things like that. It's it's how it's being delivered. All right. Are we just doing static training on the floor? Or are we actually setting up scenarios that are going to mimic what you're going to run into? Okay. You need to see what you're going to be dealing with on the street. All right. What I mean by this is this. I have visited many schools, observed demonstrations, and taken in the information from other instructors via their classes, books, videos, and et cetera. What I've noticed in many cases is that they are saying all the right things, but their actions don't match their words. They're not walking mm-hmm. the talk, okay? So and I've even run into some of these people that <laughs> uh, I'm not going to call it plagiarizing because they didn't write it, but they're saying it. Right? They've stolen somebody else's words right out of a book, okay? And they're saying it, but when they move their body around and when they're uh, – Doing the techniques, it's just not—it's not coming across. Yeah, yeah. My friends and I have a tendency to lean across it, conspiratorially whisper to each other. Does he have any clue that he's not doing <laughs> what he says he's doing? All right. As far as impact training, which is an uh, an, acronym, an acronym, and I can't remember what it stands for anymore. But as far as impact training and the full force stuff out there, uh, I think that for the most part they're viable courses. All right. A lot of these things have to do with um, adrenal response and things like that, which I talk about a lot in the Karate Myth. Um, however, I also believe that the student must take into account that punching a man dressed in a ton of foam for his own protection, and rightly so with a maniacal woman trying to beat him down, um, <laughs> it's not the same thing as it's not the same as doing the same thing directly to a real body. We've talked about that. I mean, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll dress beginners in you know foam gear and things like that because mm-hmm. it makes them feel safer. But at a certain point, as you're advancing through, you know, on your way to black belt, you just can't deliver some of the techniques because we're talking about making the hand a certain shape and making those knuckles fit a certain contour on the body 
for maximum effect. Right. And, you know, you can hit somebody with boxing gloves on. I was taught, once told by a Golden Glove boxer that his coach told him, uh, never punch somebody in the chest. It doesn't hurt. What? Well, if you have five inches of cotton on the end of your fist, yeah, okay. Uh, okay, there may be this dull thud to it, you know, knock your, you know, knock the wind out just a little bit or whatever, but it just flat out pain-wise it doesn't hurt. Uh, well, then he came to one of my classes, uh-huh. and I lightly tapped him on his sternum, and he realized that maybe the lesson was wrong. I said, it wasn't wrong. He was right. If you're wearing gloves, punching somebody in the chest doesn't hurt, right? <laughs> but it's the same thing if we have a glove on. And we whap somebody on the back of the bones of the back of the hand or this hoshi point, this pressure point, uh, the uh, inner or outer uh, hinge of the elbow. It doesn't hurt. You, you don't get it. You take the gloves off and let that knuckle find that point, hit that nerve directly. Yeah. It doesn't take very much at all, right? So there are these differences, okay? Um, well, and the question is, well, you know, will she still hurt him? Well, absolutely. She'll still hurt him. She's jumping on this guy and beating him into the ground, um, but she can also do, tr- do a tremendous amount of damage to herself. Uh, without, the, without the gloves on, you suddenly realize that if the angle of my fist is off when I'm trying to swat that point at the elbow, that if I miss, I can whack the little bones of my head on the back of my hand into the knob of the elbow and hurt mm. myself. Right? Mm. Uh, I can break my hand if I decide that I'm going to punch somebody in the face. All right? We generally teach not to punch somebody. Uh, with a clenched fist in the face up to a certain point in training because they don't have the control to be able to deliver certain surfaces. They just punch with this big old block, right? Yeah. And from the eyebrow ridge down to the jaw and then from the outer cheekbones on both sides across, it's almost impossible to punch somebody, to punch a skull. I don't care if it's covered with skin or not, Mm -hmm. to punch a skull and not break some part of your hand, right? If you don't believe me, Go get one of those uh, ceramic ones or those uh, those plastic ones that they sell for, I don't know, those ashtrays or yeah. you know, incense burners or whatever, right? Put some foam over it, you know, so it's good. Give yourself about, I don't know, a quarter to three-eighths inch of buffering like the face has. Yeah. And then punch it. Yeah. As hard as you would punch somebody to knock them out or to get them to back off of you, okay? And see which part of your fingers hurt. Mm-hmm. So there are better fists for doing that. And as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm actually writing a book now on how uh, the different fists that we use and need to mm-hmm. uh, are contoured for certain types of targets on the body. That's important. We're not just hitting because they're fancy strikes. They actually suit certain um, target types. But anyway, um, here's a good example is the punching. All right? um, I would never teach a t- uh, beginner student or participant. Uh, I already talked about this. It's about punching somebody in the face. All right. Oh, shut up then. All right? So... Um, so can you punch somebody in the face with a closed fist? Of course. Yeah, of course you can do that. But you'd be hard-pressed to find an area on the face that you can hit with a closed fist without damaging your hand or even breaking the, you know, the bones. So the case could be made that in a self-defense situation, you shouldn't worry about things like that. You just hit him. Good point. Okay, And I would agree. If you knew that this might happen and were ready and willing to risk it, it's mm. one thing to know it's going to happen, and I'm going to punch this person totally disregarding the fact that I may hurt myself because I need to do this and shut this guy down, I'll get medical treatment later. It's a whole different story when I believe that I can punch him, he'll get the damage, nothing's going to happen to me, and I hit him and something on me breaks and my entire system changes. Yeah. Physically, my body starts to cover that da- that broken part. Psychologically, I'm wondering what the heck I just did wrong, right? Uh, emotionally, the Panic starts to come up, okay? And if the fight's not over, if that wasn't a knockdown thing, you just removed a weapon out of the fight 
that you're not going to be able to use as effectively. You're certainly not going to be able to punch him again with a broken hand. Well, okay, you could, right? But you're also risking losing that limb for a significant yeah. time, if not for the rest of your life, because of severe damage. Mm. So, um, the sheer surprise and reaction could just—it could just put an end to your defense, right? So. Uh, what I did want to, to what I did tell Susan, I want to uh, let everybody else know is that I do offer classes and programs uh, for rank beginners. In fact, uh, as we speak, I'm looking for individuals who'd like to host a seminar in, uh, in their area for my EDR program, which is that emotion-based defensive response stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which uses the adrenal response, but it also acknowledges the fact that we don't just have a jump on them and kill them response. Depending on the situation, the person we're dealing with, or whatever, uh, they could not bother us at all. They could put us on the defensive. We could want to jump on them, like some of this other. stuff stuff or we could just want to stay away the emotions are seriously strong drivers Hmm. in our system and we're already pre-wired for this stuff when the hypothalamus kicks in and dumps these things like um, epinephrine and and adrenaline into the system uh, things happen differently than when we're sitting around the table talking about how we kick that guy's butt a certain way with xyz technique Hmm. uh, because we're operating from our left brain and being real real logical about things so um to to Susan, uh, you know, any training. And I would suggest that, you know, don't look at certain programs as being the end-all to beat-all things because marketing can convince you that, there are, that they are. Um, it's not. Um, and that's one of the reasons why uh, Ninja 2 was, was a, a huge favorite for me and why I do what I do because we offer more options. Uh, there are options for different situations in these different emotional states and, and things like that. We have nine schools of traditional martial arts that are taught, um, and these things were all different. Or they were all designed originally to handle very different types of situations, from bodyguard stuff to enclosed spaces to battlefield areas where you had longer weapons and armor and all kinds of things. Um, this is not about who's best. This is about do you, have you trained to be able to handle a wide range of situations? So by all means, you know, if you've got an impact course in the area, jump on board and do it. But be careful. Don't think that, you know, that's all there is to it. And if there's a rape defense uh, thing, go go through these things. But make sure that you're taking a look at these programs and these, these different types of training from or using a critical eye. Right? Mm. Does this look like what I would be dealing with on the street? You know, is the guy in foam really attacking me? Is he having the same kind of adrenal response that I'd be having? Because these animals will come at you, whether they're cocky and confident or not, but he's already pumped up. And you know what? He got there before you did. And he's in attack mode. You're in defense mode. So two different things. Okay. And, you know, different sizes, different things. Uh, the one thing I didn't answer and I just remembered, okay, uh, kicking a guy into groin. I wrote an article about that. Okay. Uh, it's probably not a good idea, okay? Not that it's a bad idea because we have lots of techniques that, that have you kicking the guy in the groin. But if you look at the scientific setup for it, you've gotten into a position where he can't stop you from doing it, and the delivery is directly to the nerve centers of that area. Um, so he's got to be square on, or you've got a position so you're right between his legs, that kind of thing where you can deliver it. Um, but there are so many things that could go wrong. You know, if the angle's off, you're not going to get a clean shot. You're going to get a grazing shot. Uh, you're going to miss altogether. If you hit him and he's already hyped up, oh, well, let me ask you, Mr. White. How old, <laughs> Let me ask all the guys that are listening. How old were you when you first realized that even getting bumped there was not a good idea? I, I don't know that I can even remember. I think it's just, yeah, always. Well, no, not about always. I, I don't know. I, 
I think I was somewhere between the ages of three and four. Whenever I typically ask guys, it's somewhere between that and maybe eight at the outside, oh, okay. where they ran into something and went. It's about oh. as far back as I can recall. Yeah, anything, see, so. there you go. And that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. But um, but it's it's that kind of idea. So, but you know, when I when I talk to women, what I keep hearing is either that's my husband or boyfriend's job to protect me, or I'll just kick him where it counts. Hmm. Well, be careful that you're not kicking somebody that's going to jack his adrenaline dump up even higher and make your situation worse for you. So mm. be real, real careful. Again, it's a critical eye. It's not about whether kicking somebody in the groin or not is a viable technique. It's how you do it. Mm. Okay? It's not the technique. It's never the technique. We're not doing many things in, in our martial art that aren't done in tons of others. It's not the technique. It's the application of the technique in context with what's going on. It's when to do it, where to do it, how to do it, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more focused on the results than it is uh, just the fact that I learned a way cool technique from uh, Joe Sensei down the street or whatever. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, a great a great uh, question from from Susan. And uh, if you ever have any questions, please send them on through to us, and uh, we'll we'll do our best to get them answered uh, by Shadoshi Miller. The uh, the email is warriorc at warrior concepts online.com so be sure to send those in uh coming up we're going to take a quick break but coming up we're going to get into that discussion about the lineages tagagi ocean tagakaryu how they were formed by quote losers so this is no, i'm trying to really i'm trying to talk so much because uh, you keep looking at the <laughs> clock over here and i promise people a one-hour show and uh well either suck it up or burn it to disc and listen to it later <laughs> <laughs> what is the karate myth Find out why most martial arts programs fail their students when they need it most. Get the most hard-hitting manual on the subject of self-protection, The Karate Myth, by self-defense expert Jeffrey Miller. Learn how a fight really works and what experience is needed to survive a brutal assault. Learn how to ensure your safety in a violent world. Get the ebook, The Karate Myth, by Jeffrey Miller today with additional bonus materials by logging on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com or call 570-988-2228. The Karate Myth, the truth about self-defense. All right, into segment two here, and today we're going to look at uh, lineages, how they formed specifically, are uh, going to look at the two Tagagi Yoshin and Tugakurayu, and they were formed by, quote, losers. This is the part that's really got me intrigued. Uh, just because, you know, my, my limited knowledge of Japanese history and culture is that, you know, with the whole samurai writing the history books, it was like, if you were a loser, you know, you, you stuck a knife in your gut and somebody cut off your head and nobody cared about the rest of your story because you lost. And, and it was a shameful thing. And that was it. So the the, the whole I think that's going to interest a lot of people that are into the history and culture part of this, that these were, quote, losers. And here they end up forming two of the, you know, some of the important lineages that make up ninjutsu as a whole today. Um, I'm going to introduce this with uh, something from one of the Karate Kid movies. Okay? Uh, so they don't need to go to my website for this. They can pop in uh, Karate Kid 2, I think is what it was. It's but been it, on TV lately, too. So Has it? Yeah, oh, I well, just I slipped by it the other night. My daughters <laughs> love it, and, and it's, a, it's a great primer to the whole philosophy of why you would learn and things like that because mm-hmm. the big thing was we're not fighting unless we have got no other choice. Right. Know, that kind of thing. But... Um, I think it was number two, but it was the one that he went to Okinawa. Right? Mm-hmm. Went That's two. There. Yeah, there you go. Thank you very much. Anyway, <laughs> um, he's finally cornered by this ex-best friend, right, to fight. Right. And he makes a deal. 
finally makes a deal and says, look, no matter who wins, no matter who loses, the village is safe. Right. Right? Remember that? That's that's the threat. If you won't fight me, because he kept turning it right. down, if you won't fight me, I'm going to bulldoze the village. That's right. Yeah. So his big thing was, Miyagi's big thing was, you want me to do this, no matter who wins or who loses, the village is safe. And of course, mm-hmm. Sato says, you know, that's too much to ask. And he says, well, you know, not too much for your honor or something right. like that. Oh, not too much for your honor. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, that's not the point. The point was afterwards, when he's going back into the house, Daniel-san says uh, something like, uh, I don't know, who's going to referee? Or, you know, how do you know who wins? Or something like that. And uh, Miyagi says, well, it's simple. The uh, one who wins is still alive. Mm-hmm. It's like, ha, ah, you know, uh, Daniel-san's freaking out because that's just completely against our Western idea of a contest. Right. Yeah, referees, you got whatever, and... No, there's a clear winner. There's a clear loser. Right, mm-hmm. the loser gets to eat bugs, and the you know, the winner gets to go on with their life. But um, what Miyagi says is, it doesn't matter if I win or lose at this point. I've already won. No matter if I win or lose, the village is safe, which is what he wanted anyway. Right. So here's this idea, right? Here's this concept that I don't matter as much as this thing that I'm willing to fight for. Hmm. And that's the big difference between a warrior, which we'll talk about in a bit, but a warrior and somebody who's just who's just a fighter, who just likes that stuff, right? To them, it does matter who wins. As a matter of fact, that's why they're fighting, right? When, a, when an attacker or when a fighter is throwing a punch at me, what he's what he's implying with his body actions is that he's right, hmm. and he's willing to knock me down to make it happen. It doesn't matter. If he's philosophically right, if he's anything right. Right. Mm-hmm, okay? mm-hmm. He just believes that the person standing is right, see? Okay. But um, so let's start, let's start with uh, Togakure. Uh, Daisuke Nishina was a young samurai in this, uh, in this battle. And you can look it up. I mean, you don't need me describing all this stuff. But he was a, uh, was a young samurai, and uh, his side lost. It lost. Okay. During that time, the losers were required to commit ritual suicide, seppuku, mm-hmm. right? And if you didn't, that's okay. They came around and did what, what we've come to know as a head count. Mm. You know, it's too difficult to carry all the bodies back to prove how many we killed, so we'll just take their heads, right? But they would come around and kill everybody. You don't want anybody with the dissenting view that you were fighting over left right. behind, right? right. Well... He was bound to do this, right? Well, maybe. See, prior to the whole battle, he had taken a vow with his leader mm-hmm. that should something happen to the leader, Daisuke would protect the leader's family. Mm-hmm. So he was bound beyond the battle to do something above and beyond. His duty wasn't over because the battle was lost. As a matter of fact, when his leader died, everything shifted. So we have an ideology here that goes far beyond self, right? Well, what he had to do was was run away. <laughs> had to run away. And, and after this, I mean, they, they would search for days or weeks or months or whatever for members of the opposing army to finish these people off, right? Um, so he went to the mountains uh, high above Nagano uh, in the... Uh, it's now known as Togakushi. That region mm-hmm. is now known as Togakushi. Well, you've been there. You know, that's where you asked yeah. me to be a, 
uh, groomsmen in your wedding. Yeah. I remember that. Um, but anyway, not that you people need to know that, but anyway, um, just reminiscing. <laughs> it was a very nice hike. It was a very nice hike. Um, and you know how many people in the Bujinkan have no idea or have never been to the Tugakure, the Tugakushi shrines? It's not a very common thing. I've just, I know. I'm, and over the years, I've been talking to people, and uh, they wonder why I'm going on all these little trips and taking my students and stuff. And I tell them about the history and everything. I mean, at the top shrine right there where we took that little detour, yeah. and I had you guys go across that, that kind of a fallen tree bridge kind of thing mm-hmm. to stand where the dojo stood. Yeah, in that clearing, right where Daisuke yeah. Nishina trained when he was a student, just like you, and there was a Yamabushi there. But that's where he—that's where his dojo stood. I mean, most people have no idea. As a matter of fact, um, uh, 2006, my 2007 trip—sorry, spring mm-hmm. trip—snow uh, was still covering up there. When I went up there, I thought somebody—I thought some spaceship had landed because there was a mound. Wow. circle in that clearing. It was still covered with snow, but there was this mound, right? And we're trying to figure out what happened. And here the Yamabushi still go to that site as a power site, uh-huh. and they walk in a circle around this. While, while they're walking and chanting, of course, they're packing snow, and then as the other snow melted, the mound stayed higher. So huh. here was this. They're still going up there and empowering this area that has been important to us for 900 years. Yeah, you know? wow. But most people have no clue. They'll, they've also never visited the Museum. Now it's a neat little ninja museum. Uh, yeah. There's the museum there for the Togakushi region right across the street, you know, because it's just this cheesy ninja house, right? Well, maybe, except that 70% or more of the stuff that Hatsumi Sensei inherited from Takamatsu Sensei, including giant black and white pictures. You've been there. Giant black and white pictures of the training in the early days with Hatsumi Sensei and what we, you know, we now know as the Shihan, right? These master mm-hmm. instructors, when they were just working this stuff out and training and having a good time and stuff. All this stuff is up there. All these, uh, you know, historic and prehistoric uh, shuriken and, and weapons and things like that. It was, it's an amazing place, right? Yeah, even. very neat place to visit. And uh, most people have no idea. But anyway, so for me to be talking about something even more historical than that, well, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if people didn't know. But anyway, Daisuke uh, Nishina... Uh, uh, Escaped from the battlefield, right? Went into these mountains, right? And happened upon this, uh, this, I don't know, warrior sage, we might call him, warrior wizard, I don't know what you would, what you would call him, uh, because he, he understood fight tactics, he understood strategies and things like that. Had a lot of this wisdom that came in from China, uh, earlier on. Um, but knew a lot of this uh, Mikyo stuff and, and just a lot of things for transforming the inner person and tapping into things that we humans are, um, born with. We just, Society just strips us of the abilities, hmm. uh, but they're still in there, right? Anyway, runs into this guy named Kane Doshi, and um, this guy just opened his eyes to all kinds of stuff, okay? And, um, you know, he becomes, uh, he, he comes back in with this, with this material, teaches, of course, his son, some other students, and his son teaches his son. And um, it wasn't until actually the grandson uh, was training and doing this stuff that he actually named the lineage after his grandfather, now once uh, Daisuke Nishina came back down off the mountain, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a new man, right? Uh, he did something that's typical in uh, in uh, Japanese society when a major transformation in life happens. He gave himself a new name. So he dropped his uh, uh, n- the name Nishina mm-hmm. and took on the Togakure for the region where he had, mm. uh, he had done all this stuff. So uh, Daisuke Togakure, right? So. Mm-hmm. 
The grandson, though, actually named the grandfather as the founder of the lineage instead of going, oh, well, see, since I'm going to write everything down, uh, it's going to be me. Right. Um, no, it wasn't. But when people look at that list, they might assume that Daisuke Togakure cataloged all this stuff. Now, it wasn't until it was still working two generations later hmm. and still producing results that it started to take on the shape of a formal lineage. But... Um, uh, Here's this idea, right? I mean, in one context, this guy's a loser, right? Sure. He's on the losing side. Right. right. You lost. Screw you. You're done, right? Get out of there. Uh, but for much greater reasons, okay, he went on. And because he didn't kill himself right there on the battlefield, found much more power, much more in the way of skills, much more in the way of ability uh, by running into this teacher. He didn't expect to do that. I mean, you mm. know, he was already this trained soldier, this trained samurai, and uh, life was different. Right? And here we are, you know? Seems like a, like an important lesson on, I guess, perseverance, which is, is very important, um, that just because he lost, you know, so much more came out of it that maybe he looked at, you know, took the loss and turned it into to furthering as opposed to just giving up. Oh, could be. You know, could I be. lost. It's it's everything's over. It's all done. Yeah, I like to see it also as a um, as a lesson in personal clarity. You know, what's my purpose? Hmm. What is my purpose in this life? Okay, we're always going to be tripping and falling down. We're always going to be making mistakes and things like that. But those people with these huge egos, the ones that can't be seen to make a mistake, and God knows, the higher the rank, oh, the bigger the problems, right? Hmm. Um, but why are you doing what you're doing? Okay. I wrote an article on uh, the difference between a fighter, a, war, a fighter, a soldier, and a warrior. You remember that one, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it all goes back to intent. Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, if you've got to do this stuff to show off and look good for people and brag about your rank, even if you do it in a humble, passing way. Oh, you know, just <laughs> attempt on, but, but 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 rank doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you're only saying that because Hatsumi Sensei said that. Um, <laughs> but. Um, why are you doing it? You know, if you got to do it because other people will look up to you because you're doing it and, and things like that, you're a fighter. You're just, you know. Hmm. Um, if you're doing it because it's your job, it's your duty, it's your obligation, right? Uh, soldiers get paid to fight. They don't get to choose the enemy, right? I'm not saying that what they're fighting for is wrong. What I'm making a different, uh, what I'm making a point here is that when I was in the military, I was a soldier. Mm-hmm. I was already indoctrinated into our country's ideology, philosophy, whatever. If I was born somewhere else and went into the military, guess what? I, well, guess what? I would have believed in protecting. I'm not saying that what I was protecting is wrong. What I'm saying mm -hmm. is I was getting paid to do a job. I didn't choose the enemy. If, if we were fighting somebody that ideologically, personally, I kind of thought they were right or whatever, I don't get that choice. Mm -hmm. And if I take that choice, well, then I'm going to die as a deserter or a traitor or whatever. Mm -hmm. right? It's warriors who get to choose sides. You know, I mean, they get to decide what's important, hmm. what's in line with their ideology and philosophy. Kind of jumping on the warrior thing here. Sorry about that, but that's what that's okay. That's that's coming that, up. That's where he did. That's what Daisuke Nishina did. I mean, mm -hmm. did he have a job? Did he have a vow to somebody else? Yeah, but you know, could have killed himself. Could have gone. No, you know what? The social standard of me killing myself outweighs this guy's. And what's he going to do? His family will never know. Mm -hmm. You know, I could have died on the battlefield. Right? Could have taken one route. Could have just escaped and ran away and never been seen or heard from again. Hmm. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, so 
But what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Okay? There's an old, old saying that what you do speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. Hmm. But there's also another old saying that says the best sign of a person's character is in the way they treat the people least important to them or in the, the way they make decisions about the, this, the things in life that are least important. Hmm. It's easy to make decisions or be friends with people who will give you something, who will make you look good, who, you know, whatever, give you rank or whatever. How are you treating the store clerk, you know? How do you do your job when nobody's looking? That kind of thing. Yeah. It's a huge difference, right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, do we have time for Tagagi Ocean now that I've uh, done all that talking? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> General consensus, if you're listening uh, and you want to hear about Tagagi Ocean, uh, raise your hands. Oh, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Doesn't work in this medium. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, I forgot I wasn't at, a, at the dojo at a seminar. Anyway. Okay, so Takagi Ocean, right? Founded by uh, Oriomon uh, Takagi a bunch of centuries ago, right? We're talking, uh, I think, 17th, 17th century, something like that. Anyway, this guy was already uh, a master of, uh, I don't even, I can't remember what the name of the lineage was, but he was a member of the, or a, a master of this school, and then it was even considered traditional martial arts, right? Got his butt whooped in a match with somebody else. Just... But what hmm. didn't happen to him that typically happened during those days when a match took place, yeah. a contest took place, right. the other guy didn't kill him. Left him in shame. Hmm. Okay? Well, uh, he realized that there was something seriously wrong with the stuff that he'd been learning because it didn't work. Because it was designed for a different time different tactics, different types of attacks. At that point, you know, he was a master of this traditional style and he was attacked and beaten by somebody who was doing more what we might call modern things. Okay. Right. So as far as I'm concerned, there's already something wrong with the way he's learning because I know that what we're studying today, even though it was developed between what, 11 and 1300 years, or I'm sorry, um, Six and thirteen hundred years ago, mm-hmm. and came in even before that through China, India, those kind of things, and it's still working. I know that that stuff, the way it was done, will still work against uh, you know, a street fighter throwing a good right cross at me, hmm. okay? because I understand how it works strategically. He doesn't have to throw a Bujinkan punch at me for this stuff to work. He can throw a right cross. He can throw a roundhouse kick. He can do a Taekwondo move. He can be a wrestler or whatever. It works as long as I understand how it was developed where the technology came from and what it was designed to work against. If I understand the strategy and not just the moves, it works just fine. Mm-hmm. I don't have to modify it, anything. Okay. But anyway, long story short, um, he just quits. He just denounces whatever you want to call it, this traditional lineage that he had, uh, uh, he'd been studying and took about a year, I think, if my memory serves me correctly, it takes him about a year and doesn't, do anything but research. He goes around and watches fights, okay? hmm. watches contests, watches other people train, teach, that kind of thing, right? Sure. And uh, he starts picking up on these other ideas and watches what's going on. But the other thing he's looking at also is not just how people are fighting as far as like the defender. He's watching what kind of attacks are being used, okay? And then... He uh, takes some time and goes up up onto uh, Mount Hiezon, okay, where the Tendai sect is, okay, mm-hmm. 
big connection in all of our lineages. Tendai keeps popping up a lot. I know, I know. You don't have to do that stuff to, you know, whatever. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> anyway, um, goes up onto Hezan uh, and goes into retreat. And as the historical description is, goes into meditation. Of course, they all mm-hmm. go to meditation. Anyway, basically, he's reflecting on all this material. He just gets away from the world. He doesn't have to worry about conflict if you're up on top of this mountain with a bunch of monks. You don't have to worry about day-to-day stuff. Right, so wouldn't it be nice if we had something like that today, where you could just like take a break, you know? Rehab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, taking a break today is. Not, I, I think taking a break today means going to McDonald's or something like oh. that. You know, pay them for a meal that's barely ingestible. Anyway, yeah. um, but anyway, he goes up there and he really starts to sort this stuff out, right? And uh, really starts to consider what are the most common things I'm going to have to worry about, or people are going to have to worry about, right? Okay, now, what's viable for that? He really settles on the whole idea that the key principle is in the whole balance breaking. And where he failed was that the fact that he needed to rush in and beat this guy early instead of letting this guy do what he's doing, kind of be aware of what kind of attack is probably going to be coming at him, hmm. right? Um, and then learning how to break this guy's balance physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, that kind of thing, before he tries moving in on him. Right, get this guy shaken and off balance before you try to do anything. Right, um, and then he's thinking, "Wow, you know this works, but what if the guy's good at that? What if he can beat that? What if he's because he watched some really good fighters in this year, hmm. you know, that were able to break balance or recover from broken balance and that kind of thing." Right, and he finally takes that on to settling on um, uh, learning how to break your own balance. And I don't mean physically either. I mean like uh, last second. A technique just comes out of you that you didn't even expect to happen because you're in the moment and you can suddenly see an opening at the point where you're about to deliver one strike and you suddenly see something else Hmm. that works better and you take that opportunity. Now, this isn't something that could be planned before you bow to your partner and do your contrived setup that looks awesome in the dojo, right? And uh, we've talked about how many times you watch a demo and people get up to try to impress the teacher or try to impress sensei or whatever. Um, just, you know, if you're called out to show something, show something and get out of the way because they only want you to present something so they could see if they had a bad model to work off of or a good model to work off. And now the lessons are really going to start. Mm. You didn't get to be teacher. You got to give them a seed to work with. And now here's the lesson, mm. right? Anyway, uh, but long story short, here you have this guy who, instead of going away in shame or instead of clutching even stronger to his, you know, his style, look at all these years. I mean, God, if I quit now, look at all the time, money, effort, whatever, waste it. Oh, and by the way, historically, martial arts training was freaking expensive. Mm-hmm. You had to have some serious money or, or uh, wherewithal to be able to afford a teacher. These guys needed to be able to support themselves when war wasn't going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And why would they make? Why would they just hand this stuff out? Give it to somebody with total disregard as to who this person was, and maybe this person during a bad day would use it on them. These guys got to be old masters because they were smart. Hmm. But um, you know, so this belief that oh, you know, it should just be given or whatever. No, absolutely not. The student is always made to work for it, and in today's world. No student's going to stick around for the year, year and a half, two years. The teachers used to make them come back, scrub the floor, do their laundry, all that kind of stuff to make them prove themselves. So how else are you going to prove yourself? Give up something that's important to you, right? And besides that, the teacher's available six, seven days a week like I am. 
guess what? I'm not working at, you know, Joe's Laundry down the street or whatever. I'm available for my students morning, evening, yeah. weekends, that kind of thing for classes, seminars, and all that. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. So not justifying the whole price structure. What I'm saying is people that argue that martial arts should be free or cheap or whatever, um, one, want things to fit their situation instead of changing their situation, and two, are as ignorant of history as you can get because it, it was not that way, mm. right? Anyway, so here's this guy who got beaten down and decided to rethink the whole idea, uh, which begets why we're doing this stuff anyway. I think, uh, you know, I don't think I'm any better as a practitioner than most of the people that are out there. Uh, I don't think I'm worse either, but I think I do have something that most people don't have, and that's actual real-world experience dealing with things. And that's something Sensei has always told people: go find some, go find people that have that have experience. Not just a teacher that can teach you the moves, hmm. but go find people. It doesn't matter if they're a white belt, green belt, black belt, fifteenth dot. Doesn't matter. Okay, find people who have been there, because they may not be able to teach you all the techniques, but they can sure as hell teach you why you or how you better train, hmm. because they've been there and they know what it's like inside that bubble called a fight yeah mm-hmm. so um yeah were they losers uh, i don't know it, 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 it seems like a redefinition depending on the definition of what a think, loser is i, I think mean, you're a loser if you're bent on and worried about winning hmm. in that context sure if you can take a bad situation and turn that into a positive productive thing where you come out on the other end more powerful there is no winner or loser. There's only ability. There's only results. I've got a a, a comment here that I, I got this off of our forums, and uh, it's a really great uh, place to go if you have questions, discussions. Or it's all there. Uh, warriorconcepts.forumco.com. Check it out. Get registered, signed up, and, and you can post and, and see a lot of the great discussions that have gone on there on the forum. But I got this off there. This is from John, and, and talking specifically about Ryu-specific training says uh, there are those who say that general movement is what's important and that since uh, Bujikan Buddha Taijutsu is a body of knowledge made up of the important aspects of all nine schools, there's no need to study the schools specifically. Other people think that studying the schools individually is valuable because it teaches you different ways of moving and different ways of using the same tools and uh, John interested in getting some opinions and, and starting a discussion on that. So, I mean... Should people specifically pull out individual uh, lineages and study those, or is it all in there so I don't need to study it? Yes. <laughs> I really irritate people with answers like yes this. Yes to both? Okay. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes to both. This is the same. This is no different than any other argument. You know, should we have prayer school, prayer in schools or not? Should we have, you mm-hmm. know, religion over here or not? It's, again, ignorance of history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, the Bujinkan is an amalgamation. How about that? $50 word out of a $5 mouth. Okay. Uh, it's it's a, a coming together of nine different schools, again, that were developed during different times, different regions, right? Some are mountainous, some are, you know, uh, mm-hmm. port side, that kind of thing. Um, they're all designed to handle different types of conflict. They're not all generic, uh, what I call mathematical martial arts. If he punches you, do this. Right. This is our style for handling this. Why? Why is that your style for handling that? Mm. Okay. How, why is that different than this one? Other than the move is different. Okay. Um, it's different because you're trying to get a different result. Okay. Uh, you know, in uh, Takagi Yoshiyu, right? You got a lot of close quarter stuff. 
or kneeling things, indoor kind of things, right? Um, we don't have the same kind of buildings that they had in ancient Japan, so you don't have to worry about that kind of thing. But the idea was to bring a guy down under your hakama and to limit his movement and crush him down, right? Mm. Um, because if you hit him too far away or you, you, know, you had one of these driving strikes, he'd just bounce off a wall and come right back in on you because of, of, the, of the structure of these places, right? Um, but if I'm in a parking lot and I'm attacked getting into my car and there's another car right behind me, which would literally be beside my car or whatever, anywhere mm -hmm, in there I mm -hmm. am, I've got a close situation here. We can't be wrestling up against the cars because I eliminate any ability or any, any, uh, any uh, what do I want to say, any ability to break his balance. If he can lean up against the car or if we're ground fighting, right. you know, what's the thing you can't do when you're ground fighting with somebody? Break his balance. He's already down. <laughs> you're both hugging gravity, that kind of thing. Yeah, right? yeah. So um, I have to be able to do things in a way that, that allow me to operate in that smaller space and not allow him to use the other objects, the wall, the cars, whatever, for... Um, uh, for bracing or for leverage, mm -hmm. right? So very different, right? Um, so everything here was developed for different reasons. So there are specifics, but the way I tend to cover things with my students is that up until first, maybe second degree black belt, the majority of their training, unless they get involved in specialty workshops or whatever, but for their rank, we're really looking at uh, Ichimonji as a generic kind of thing, right? When eventually, you know, Koto Ryu has Seigan, Kukishinde Ryu has, uh, what is it, Katatehichi no Komai, uh, Gyoko Ryu has Ichimonji no Komai, but they all look different, right? Why? Why do they look different? Okay. Hmm. Where are the open windows? What are they trying to bait the other person to throw as far as an attack goes, right? What's the, what's the general strategy that those schools were either trying to create or that they were dealing with, right? So um, that doesn't matter for, for a new person. A new person, get the general feel and idea of what we're doing here, defensively, offensively, evasively, right? Here's this technique to put on there. Uh, you know, uh, we give it a name, right? Onikudaki, omotegi onikudaki, ura onikudaki, right? Well, okay, uh, what's the difference? Well, one, the arm goes over his uh, upper arm, one, the arm goes under his upper arm, but you lever him the same way, right? Mm. Okay, great. Well, but, you know, did Kukishin then deliver an onikudaki the same way that Gyokuri? It doesn't matter. At this point, it doesn't matter. Mm. To learn to learn to do this one as a base model to get an idea, right? So I don't worry about the specifics until a student gets high enough where they're not looking at step-by-step -step mechanics anymore or basic self-defense. They're looking at creating results, hmm. right? So, you know, how are we dressed? All these scenario-based kind of things. I mean, I've given this description in the, in the dojo. We've got a pretty big school with two classrooms and, you know, yeah. door, back door, that kind of thing, right? Well, if somebody invades the school and I want to get them to the back door and we're in the back training room, every technique, every technique I do has to move him toward that back door, hmm. right? But how is he attacking me, right? What kind of fighter is he? One of our lineages is better at handling those kind of things, or the kind of scenario we're in, than the other ones. So, you know what I mean? Um, to inundate a student with all those extra details before they understand even how to get a handle on this machine called their body, I think is is the sign of a teacher who's not paying attention to what their students need. Mm. And I don't mean that in a, an offensive way toward anybody, but 
the, the greater majority of people who call themselves teachers are nothing more than information conveyors. They go to a class, they learn something cool, and they can't wait to get back to their dojo to show everybody when in reality those people should be working on stepping into kumai or delivering punches against targets and things like that to get really good at those pieces before they go sewing them together. Mm-hmm. I don't care if that person can do a chuden level kata from the uh, XYZ. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Any monkey can duplicate these kata. Okay? Mm-hmm. It was even proven. Did you see the stuff on the internet there where some teacher had taught his uh, chimpanzee how to do taekwondo? Yeah. yeah. Skippy do. You think that ta- you think that chimpanzee is going to defend himself with taekwondo if he's ever jumped by another chimpanzee? No, he's going to fight like a chimpanzee. Yeah. Right. So any monkey can learn the step by step things of these of these lineages, and even get pretty good at them. But the trick is, can they do it in a fight against somebody throwing full speed stuff at them, being able to change, adapt, and whatever, and not throwing a Bujinkan punch or whatever? Hmm. Can they do it against a punch from their neck of the woods or their part of the world, or you know what I mean? Can they switch out the punch for a knife? Can can they? Mm-hmm. That's results. That's mastery. Okay? Mastery is not regurgitating textbook stuff. And I don't care if it came off a scroll and it's physical or it's, you know, uh, you memorized the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't care what it is. Tell me what that means. Show me that you understand because you can produce results with it. All right. It's one thing to be able to duplicate it because you're showing off in a controlled environment in the dojo and you're doing a demonstration. That's a whole other world. Now, again, when the defecation's hitting the ventilation, and you're trying to do a kata against this guy who's trying to break you into pieces for your money, your woman, whatever. And you've only ever thought about it the traditional way, the official mm-hmm. way. If that's what you're doing, if that's the way you're training, then by all means, just admit that and say, that's why I'm training. I just think this is a cool thing to train that way. I have a friend who says, you know, he's really not all that worried about self-defense. So he trains in this art for body movement mechanics and to have a good time and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's his big thing. Great. Thank you for your honesty. Now, we can discuss things on that level. But don't come at me with this self-defense stuff mm. when you can't start your movements unless you start with a certain kata because you'll be lost without it. Mm. And I've seen that kind of stuff as well. Mm. Sorry. The questions, the comments, they're very important, uh, so make sure that you get them in. It is warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com, so you can always email them that way. And again, check out the forums. Uh, there's a link uh, on online, but uh, it is warriorconcepts.forumcode.com, and you can get signed up today. Coming up, uh, we'll discuss becoming a warrior. Uh, Shidoshi Miller's written an extensive article about that, along with many, many others. Many are published online. Uh, you can search for them and find them that way or grab links from the website. Uh, but also, uh, just something quick off this uh, Tagagi Ocean, there is a video available uh, that you produced and put out uh, dealing with, with some of the techniques. So if anybody wants to specifically take a, a more detailed look at Tagagi Ocean, that is available. Absolutely. Uh, it's actually a, uh, uh, a seminar that we had uh, videotaped a couple of years ago. So if you're looking for entertainment style or Hollywood uh, type quality, uh, you're going to be disappointed because it's in the dojo. We just had the camera off to the side and uh, we caught all the action and everything. Um, but, um, you know, it's not it's not perfect. But uh, what we what we did was we ran a seminar on the uh, whole first level uh, scroll, the Shoden no Kata. So, Takagi Yushoryu, Shoden no Maki, and um, 
Yeah, it's been it's been hugely popular because people are trying to get this information. Mm-hmm. And not only are the kata there, but I'm real big on uh, on discussing the who's, what's, and why's. I mean, what's the idea behind this kata? And then we take a look at a couple of uh, viable uh, variations for each one. And, uh, yeah, the video's like, I don't know, 17 bucks, $7 for shipping and handling. Mm-hmm. And uh, get it shipped right out to you. You can go to the website. There's a link, uh, I think, down on the right-hand side for it. Uh, yeah, check it out. It's really got that, that in-class feel, like if Absolutely. you were there, you know. So uh, it, it is very good. Make sure you check that out. And, again, it's www.warrior-concepts-online.com. Coming up, another short break here, and then we're talking Becoming a Warrior. To some, martial arts is a hobby. You learn a few techniques, some history, a word or two in Japanese, put in time and hard work, and bingo, you earn a black belt. But few know how to truly protect themselves from real danger. Ask yourself, what kata helps you escape a burning bus or building? What waza stops a carjacker? Think outside the dojo. Get real solutions to real danger with the DVD Danger Prevention Tactics by self-defense expert Jeffrey Miller. Whether you have no martial arts experience or you're a 10th degree black belt, you will learn ways to spot, avoid, and protect yourself in a number of real situations that are all too common but never trained for in the dojo. Order the DVD Danger Prevention Tactics from Warrior Concepts International. Visit www.warrior-concepts-online.com or call 570-988-2228. Danger Prevention Tactics. Protect yourself like a pro. Okay, we're back into our uh, final third segment of the show, and uh, this segment usually is going to be blocked out for uh, covering things of more, I guess, a philosophical nature, talking about some of the philosophy behind martial arts and and training. Uh, But also, you'll find uh, this is a good place where we'll fit in interviews as we bring in guests for other shows. But today, uh, we're going to talk about becoming a warrior. And I was saying it was an article, but it's... It's a compilation of different things. It's an anthology. It's an e-book. E-book. It's an e-book, yeah. Uh, It's actually an anthology of a bunch of articles that I've written on the topic. There's uh, one in there on the whole Takagi Ocean thing, which we just talked about. There's that fighter warrior, fighter soldier warrior thing in there. Um, What I tend to write... um, tend to write like I talk, so um, they're really long articles. They became book (laughs) chapters, and uh, they're there. But, um, yeah, Um, sure I didn't talk enough about philosophy up to this point. Uh, Yeah. Folks, there will be no shortness or uh, no uh, lacking of content or, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, um, he was just saying earlier, toss out a word. And, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll just give you one word and then we'll let you go. We can run with it, but hey. It's kind of uh, like shaking up the baby and say, go that way. <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. Uh, don't become a parent. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, so uh, becoming a warrior. Um, I don't know. Uh, different people have different philosophies about taking a warrior, but since it's my show. I guess I get to talk about it, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, I think it comes down to um, to uh, what warriors are all about. Um, well, you know what? Let's start here. I, I've, I was going to start with something else, but let's let's start with uh, a different topic. Uh, if you've ever seen the kanji. The Japanese Chinese character for uh, Boo for warrior or martial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you seen yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, it's actually made up of two other kanji. Yes. Okay. Okay. One is an old kanji that's not used anymore. It represents conflict. Kind of looks like the side of a castle or a castle wall. Okay. Abutment with some arrows or rocks flying over the top of it, right? And then the other one uh, is a common uh, 
uh, kanji that is even seen in Japan today. Uh, it represents, or it's, uh, yeah, symbolizes the word or the concept of stopping. Hmm. Okay. So on stop signs, they don't use the Western alphabet stop, right? <laughs> There's this sign and it has this kanji on it that means stop. Uh-huh. Okay. So now knowing that kanji are pictographs, they're pictures of a concept. Yeah. What's the meaning behind martial or warrior? Not to fight, not to destroy or conquer, to stop conflict. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of backwards if you're looking to be a fighter. Especially, certainly if you're looking to win a trophy in some, I don't know, extreme martial arts or MMA thing or whatever, right? It, it flies in the face of that, okay? So, but warriors also understand that you may have to engage in conflict to stop it, kind of like the guys who are the uh, uh, the troubleshooters or the firemen on uh, in um, oil oil fields, okay? Uh, do you know how they put out uh, of like a... Uh, what do you call them? It's an oil, uh, not the rig, but like if, when they, once they drill and it, it spouts, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. If one of these things catch on fire, which often happens because of static electricity or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know how they put those out? No. Okay. They actually have a whole bunch of explosives that they wrap into a bundle and use a crane to stick it right in the middle of the fire and they detonate it. <laughs> okay. And how does that? It knocks all the oxygen out of the, out of the area. Ah. So it and it puts out the fire. Chokes the fire. It chokes the fire. Wow. So now all you have is a gusher of oil again. Now you can cap this thing and everything is good, right? So that's the concept or that's the idea or the take that a warrior takes on conflict. Hmm. Okay? You go in there, you remove their resources, supplies, and all that. They can't fight. Okay? You take away their balance, their will to fight, whatever. Mm-hmm. But see, it's a, it's a removing of, it's not a fanning the fire. It's not a trying to prove you're right kind of thing. Hmm. Okay? And you're actually doing it to protect something grander than yourself. Okay? There's this thing about warriors where uh, first a warrior protects his country, the land that shelters and feeds him, you know, that takes care of him, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then he protects his family and community, right? Those people that look to him for support and security and protection. And lastly, he protects himself. So a warrior doesn't get involved in, in uh, ideological crap arguments over this or that but a warrior does get very clear about what's important to them and the way they're going to live their life and what they're willing to defend Hmm. so in essence they do draw that line okay and that's the stand they take okay it's not that it's set in stone for the rest of their lives but they're not vague. They don't go through life agreeing with one person one day and somebody with a completely different ideological view the next day because they don't want to hurt that person's feelings or say no or whatever. Now, they don't get into arguments either. But at the same time, if somebody's about to step over that line, okay? So uh, I've done this. I mean, for a lot of my adult students, and I'm not sure if you went through the process or not. I'm pretty sure you did. But we had that life purpose process. Mm-hmm. Uh, breaks the whole thing into, or the whole idea of, you know, what what makes you make the decisions that you do? What, you know, why do you do what you do and how you do it? Uh, we break that down into five, five uh, kind of neat little exercises so you can sum it up, right? But what you come out of that with is, at the very least, you come out of it with, 
oh, I don't know, two, three, no more than half a dozen things that if you could, if you could live your perfect life, what must be a part of that life? What must be in it, right? If you could yeah. engineer your life. Remember that? I right? remember that. And then you also come out with the, uh, the opposite, too. Two, three, no more than five, six, half a dozen kind of things that if you could generate your perfect life, what two, three, half dozen, whatever things would you not tolerate, could not be in that life? See how we've drawn the line? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm remarried, right? And um, uh, one of the things that my wife is most grateful for, now she jokes about it as well, but she's most grateful for is that I came to her with a list. There's only five or six things on each side, what I want, what I won't tolerate. Mm -hmm. They weren't, I didn't present those to her as in you have to do these things or else, right? It wasn't about changing her. When we first met and and just out of idle conversation or, or, you know, just having some chit-chat, I made it very clear. This is what I stand for. This is me. I'm always changing and I'm always working on things, but at this point in my life, you know, I'm, I've been married before, I've got kids, I'm getting older, that kind of thing. These things are important in my life. So this is a do-over. I get to, I get to create my life. Mm-hmm. So in my ideal life, I must have these things. And they're not, they're not material things. They're not a car, big house, whatever. They're things like access to my teachers, mm. the freedom to express myself without fear of retribution, especially from my loved ones. Mm. Intimate relationships, and I mean that in business sense, friendship sense, uh, relation, you know, marriage sense, or whatever. But mm-hmm. connected to the other person, not a, not a my way or the highway kind of thing. I have to have these things, right? Mm-hmm. So I we we laid these things out. But what was refreshing to her was here was this guy who was real clear about his life, and then she was left to decide whether one she was that kind of person, and two whether that was what you know she wanted to. To pursue. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a bunch of vagueness. It wasn't a bunch of saying one thing, but then as soon as you upset somebody, you dance around with a whole bunch of apologies to make it something that's easily palatable for them. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So what's important in the first step in becoming a warrior to me is in deciding, one, why, and two, you need to have the same thing that every warrior in the history of mankind has had. And that's at least one thing that you are willing to pay the ultimate price protecting. Hmm. If you're not in it to protect something bigger than you, then you're in it for you. Just admit that. I need that trophy. I need that 15 minutes of fame. I need that big winning check. You know, I'm willing to get my brain busted up and I'm willing to come out stupid and broken for the rest of my life. But damn, didn't I look good? Admit that. But as far as warriors go, fighters are looking for fame and glory in one way or the other, okay? Some kind of reward. Soldiers, again, it's their job. And for warriors, they're willing to lay down their life for something bigger than them, okay? It was true about the samurai. It was true about the ninja. I think the difference between the two is that for samurai, they were born into a family where they were already attached to a lord. And whether that guy became a maniac or not, they were indentured to him. Mm. For the ninja, they sold their services to whoever could protect the way of life that they were living and mm. were sympathetic to it. But in either case, it's this going beyond self. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, and it's not that I don't like me and, you know, I'm being totally selfless and altruistic and all that, but if there's any kind of payoff, it's because, well, I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, I do, I still do bodyguard work, but mm -hmm. where bodyguards, yes, they catch bullets for, you know, dignitaries and all that kind of stuff, but you mm -hmm. know what? they're getting a paycheck. How many bodyguards are out there doing what I and some of my friends do, and when the Dalai Lama or some of these uh, you know, Tibetan teachers or whatever in town, mm -hmm. people that need help, and we're not getting a paycheck for it, but I believe that if push comes to shove, the world needs what they're offering or what they symbolize more than me, hmm. and I'm willing to stand in front of them. Okay? And that's not to ring my own bell. I'm not trying to impress anybody, but what I am trying to do is impress upon them that I've given this stuff a whole lot more thought than which style I'm going to take, which school was closest to me and therefore less inconvenient for my work schedule, for whatever. Mm -hmm. I have always had to travel for training. My teachers have never been less than nine hours driving one way to get to. And now, <laughs> it's a 13-hour flight. Yeah. <laughs> after a four-hour car drive to get to the car to the airport. Uh-huh. Right? So, um, yeah. So, what are you willing to do? And warriors are people of action, and they're willing to make the hard choices. They're willing to do what needs to be done, regardless of whether that's a favorable choice hmm. or a popular choice. They do it because it needs to get done. And I'll close out with a quote from Takamatsu Sensei, Hatsumi Sensei's uh, teacher, 33rd Grandmaster of the Togakura Ryu. He once said, who in their right mind would choose to be a warrior? Seriously. Okay, you're up at crack of dawn, even earlier, in chafing armor, you know, doing sword work or training or whatever. All these other schmucks are cuddled in with their honeys, sleeping, hmm. not a care in the world. Who in their right mind would choose to put themselves in front of bladed weapons and death? And Who would do that? I mean, who in their right mind would do that? Nobody in their right mind would do that. But you know what? Somebody has to. Hmm. Or the schmuck cuddled in with his honey. Might not be around to cuddle with his honey. Yeah. Then I had another teacher who said, you know why all warriors aren't in the same place in the world? Because we take over. <laughs> 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 and I really do believe that. I believe that uh, some prophecies in the world have come true, or since we're talking philosophy, the meek have inherited the earth. Uh -huh. Sensei has discussed this. I talk to my students about it. We live in a sad time when you cannot teach somebody a lesson who seriously deserves it. This mm -hmm. is not about me being a fighter. The world, as we get more politically correct, becomes more poisoned and polluted by people who are disrespectful, undisciplined, and they're nothing but takers and users. Yeah. And well, I mean, you hear stories all the time about the, the guy who was going to rob a house and fell through the roof and hurt himself by falling on the, the kitchen butcher block and is suing the family because he broke three ribs, and they end up getting sued. And this guy was breaking into their house. Absolutely. And then they can't do anything about it. Absolutely. How yeah. dare you have a roof that's not sound enough for a thief to walk across? Right. Absolutely. And uh, it's, it, it is, it's a sad, sad time. Um like I said, you know, we live in a time when people have more of a need to be taken care of and they have a belief that the world owes them something when warriors are just the opposite. Mm. 
warriors want to keep those positive things in the world in the world and are willing to stand in front of danger to keep it happening. Now, if somebody wants to get more uh, in depth on this whole becoming a warrior, how can they get the ebook? Uh, it's on the website. I don't have the, through, through I don't the have, website. I don't have the uh, the uh, URL memorized at the moment. If you go to the website, you can access any of that stuff in there, and uh, or they can just call the academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are just they're not real big on buying online. So if you yeah. want any of this stuff, the DVDs or anything, uh, if you find it online or you've heard it on here, uh, you can call the academy in the U.S. and in Canada. Uh, otherwise, you have to dial the country code, and I don't have all those for you, so look it up from where you are. Uh, but you can call us at area code 570-988-2228, and uh, you place your order online. Just have your Visa or MasterCard ready for you when you are ready for us when you call. And uh, we're more than happy to process your order. And if it's a DVD, we'll ship it right out to you. If it's an ebook, uh, just give us your email address, and we'll send it off. To, send you a link to a secure page that you can download the stuff from. Um, and if you're not into doing that kind of thing either, or you don't have a credit card, uh, you can uh, go to the website and uh, take a look at the address there and send us a check or money order. Now, of course, the check uh, has to clear before we're going to send you stuff. And uh, I'm sorry that I have to do that, but uh, this warrior's been stung one too many times by somebody who uh, mm. just thought they'd uh, get the thing and then uh, cancel the check as soon as the stuff was in the mail. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so we're not <laughs> doing that. Oh, and our return policy is real simple. In today's world, the media can be copied way too easily. Uh-huh. Somebody can return it for a refund. Yeah. Unless there's something wrong with the DVD or the file I sent you, I'm sorry. The information is what it is. This is not a buyer beware kind of thing. This everything is is loaded with information, but I am not building somebody's internet library or their ebooks or their uh, DVDs or whatever when they can simply copy it and then get a refund. That kind of thing. If there's something wrong with it, we'll replace it with a like title. Uh, but um, unfortunately, I have to do this because well, I wouldn't have to do it if it hasn't been done. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. So uh, as you can tell, uh, this is going to be a great wealth of knowledge for you. Uh, it's very easy to get going on a good topic and, and uh, get a lot of stuff you might not find anywhere else. <laughs> Your microphone continues to sink closer and closer to the table. I'm, I'm, I'm almost on the table here because there's something wrong with this microphone, and it starts up and it ends down, and I'm not going to make any kind of comments about how that might affect something else because, um, anyway. We'll well, I, had, I had to give you some kind of challenge for, for the first show here. There, there we'll you go. will give you a moving microphone, right see how you do with that. that. See you in class, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> be sure to check out the next episode. should be uh, up online very soon. And in the next episode, we're going to be covering bullies by the numbers, just taking a look at uh, bullies in school, what kids can do about it, and also how... And adults, too. Yeah, how parents have to deal and... and People think that the bullying adult is just bully. a kid thing? Absolutely. Bullies don't come in any age or size or gender or whatever. We're going to talk about those things. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And my big question to everybody will be, what kind are you? Ah, a lot of people, I guess, in, in some ways, we all kind of can bully one another. We haven't, we haven't even thought about this. We just learn different ways to get things we want in the world, and huh. um, we're going to take a heartfelt look at uh, how we might do it. Because you know what, we can't learn to defend against them until we can understand where they come from. Uh. So that that's going to be that's going to be a great topic for our next episode. Also, uh, this kind of ties in with the upcoming uh, Ninja Camp. 
uh, that that's going to be on the way here very soon. And uh, you can uh, check out the website to get signed up for that, the Ninja Katana. And so we'll get into looking at the Ninja Sword and how it differs from the traditional samurai sword and its usage and uh, and design. And then finally, the the Sanmitsu, the the Ninja's avenue for success. And right. and we'll, three secrets. That's and we'll, right. Yeah, we'll get into all of that. Yeah, so absolutely. it's going to be a great episode coming up. So look for that up soon. But hopefully you've enjoyed this. Uh, this I'd like to say I'm not going to talk nearly as much, but you know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just start you up and let you go. That's it works it. out good. It's like the Energizer, Energizer Bunny of self-defense and uh, needs you guys. That's so th- thank you very much again. And uh, please send your comments. We want to know uh, what you think, uh, not only about the show, but I'm sure you've got lots of questions uh, and, and suggestions for topics you'd like to know more about. And again, Warrior C at warrior-concepts-online.com is the email address. And, uh, again, check out warrior-concepts-online.com for more information on all of this. Thank you again, and uh, thank you, Shadosh Miller. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes, call 570-988-2228 or log on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com. That's 570-988-2228 or www.warrior.com dot warrior dash concepts dash online dot com.